father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? And welcome to What's Lightsaber's Precious? The Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopedia Podcast, where we waste time on fictional wikis. I'm Ryan. And I'm Joanna. Guess what, kids? What, Miss Joanna? Do you like Netflix? No! Well, I mean, yeah! takes the wind out of my tails right from the beginning, doesn't I it? I love watching Stranger Things. My mom says it's good to watch the, the people get murdered by... Extra dimensional creatures. You shouldn't be watching that. That's that's not that's on Netflix Adult. You need to be watching Netflix Kids. Screw that. I'm cool. Well, well, Netflix Kids just got a little cooler because as of today, September first, Lord of the Rings is available on Netflix Kids. Like the Bakshi? No, like the, the Peter Jackson. Why just on Kids? <laughs> I don't know, and I also don't know why it's just the second two movies. I don't. Wait, what? So Fellowship's, the Fellowship's not, on there? not on there, but the Two Towers and Return of the King sure are. What? Yeah. What? Was Fellowship already on there, maybe? I don't know. It doesn't give any indication of that. But um, if you're into watching just the latter two-thirds of a popular um, trilogy, then this is this is the place for you, Netflix Kids. Also available today, September 1st, the very same day, Spookly the Square Pumpkin. <laughs> a square pumpkin finds support from a scarecrow, three spiders, and a couple of bats after being teased. So you just watch Spookly first, then you watch The Two Towers, then you watch Return of the King, and then you have the whole trilogy figured out. You have out. the whole trilogy for you. If you just watch Spookly instead, it's like essentially the it's same plot of Fellowship. Also, you'll be gradually going up in ratings, because Spookly rated G, Two Towers rated PG, which I did not know, okay. and Return of the King, a solid PG-13 for some thematic imagery. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's my Netflix news. Well, I have... Well, there's a lot of news, actually, out of Star Wars this past week. Maybe you saw some of it on the old... TL, that's what the kids call their timelines. Oh, they yeah, say, but it was like a lot of complaining. The TL is lit. Was it lit? Or was it just like a bunch of man babies whining? The TL is dummy thick. Um, I don't think anybody says that TL is dummy thick. The TL is dab. So, I don't know if you saw, but D23, the Disney Expo, was last weekend. What's the 23 stand for? So 23 uh, states in which Disney is legal. You know that movie with Jim Carrey? The number 23? Yeah, they did that. It's part of the, that's part of that movie, actually. He's oh like, I can't believe it. Disney's connected to all this stuff. Ah, ah. Oh my god. Disney invented the number 23. Number 20. They actually copyrighted it along with lots of other things. So if you write it on the wall of your daycare, prepare to get your ass sued. You will. You can't have any... Yeah. You can't have any Mickey or Minnie on your, the wall of your daycare, and you can't have the number 23. Anyway. You're D- not even allowed to be 23 years old. D23 actually. is where they announce all the Disney stuff. That includes stuff for the movies, their channel... Their theme parks, all the news that's fit to print. And the big news at D23 as far as Star Wars news, well, for one, they talked about like the Mandalorian some more, and there's new streaming service, Disney Plus and all that. But there was another teaser for Episode 9, Rise of Skywalker. They had a very intriguing image at the end of it. I don't know if you saw this. Did you see this? No. All right. Well, go. probably. If it's what I'm thinking, yes, I did. Mm. I'm thinking it's Evil Ray. Evil Ray. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's Evil Ray. So, it's Evil Ray with two lightsabers. Yes, so there's a bit at the end where Ray's got... Well, not just two lightsabers. It's a it's a lightsaber that is two lightsabers, and she folds it down to make like a staff. Like it done unfolds. Is it double sided like Darth Maul's? Here, just watch the thing. All right. 
Okay, this first first half of this teaser is old movies. You'll find. So far, yes. So far, this is things I've seen. Yep, yep. Remember these movies? Like they had Han Solo, Princess Leia, and Luke hugging each other. Remember how you like, like there these they movies? all getting their medals. These are pretty good movies, huh? Some Imperial Walkers. There's Boba Fett. Yeah, Luke yeah. and uh, Leia and Han kissing. Yeah, uh, Darth I'm your, Vader. I'm your daddy. Yoda. Yeah, I remember all of this. Remember footage. these good movies? Yep, these are pretty yep. good movies. There's huh? Lando. Yeah. Oh, there's that cutie. Okay, now see, I see Qui Gon and I see Anakin. I love how I love how Attack of the Clones got like two scenes in this bit. Attack of the Clones should be two scenes. <laughs> you mean the best Star Wars movie? Sorry. Okay, there's Finn, there's BB-8, there's Kylo Ren. So now this is stuff I've seen. A Lost Jedi. Um, in the more recent movies. Yeah. Ray Ray. This Christmas. Santa's coming. Now somehow Leia's in it. We yeah, don't know how. Yeah, yeah. So the series is coming to an end. Okay, so there's evil, either evil or really blaze C3PO with red eyes. C3PX, remember? I uh, know, I don't remember. We talked about the C3PO episode. There's the like evil C3PO. Oh like a yeah! Bounty hunter. Do you think it's C3PX? I don't know. There's Ray and Kylo fighting on a in the water. And then it fades to black, and then you see evil red. Whoa! Whoa! I mean, it is, but it is like Darth Maul's lightsaber. It just unfolds. It's, it's cooler than that, because it's a foldable lightsaber. It's much more portable than the, than the Darth Maul saber. Wow. Anyway, that, that set the internet on fire. That's How do you feel about it? It's going to be like a vision or something, probably. No, but I mean like the trailer overall. Well, it was more of a trailer for, hey, Star Wars is pretty cool, right? Yeah, like, they it wasn't only much had of... <laughs> new footage for, like, the very last There's only a few little bits. You saw Stupio with red eyes. You saw Rey and Kylo battling in, over in, like, some, over some water. And then you saw Rey Rey, like, unfold the lightsaber, like, <laughs> You saw a cool girl with, like, a big afro. Yeah, yeah. Sit behind Finn. I don't know. I'm trying not to learn as much as I can about this movie. I'm trying to keep it uh, under wraps. But that evil Ray, it's got to be one of those vision quest things. Or it's got to be like, I mean, if, if it's actually a real character turn on her, it's going to be like a real temporary thing. Or people are saying, oh, maybe it's a clone. Maybe Ray's just been a clone the whole time. And when she goes Ooh. to when she goes to fight the Emperor, there's an evil Ray clone already there. Maybe her hand gets cut off and they clone her from that hand and the clone's name is Ray. Ray. Yeah. Yes. Has to be. Has to be, right? Yeah. Anyway. I'm withholding judgment. It looks neat. I'll find out in December. Do you think it's pandering too much or not enough? That's the hot question. Oh, pandering in that it's like, hey, remember all these other really good Star Wars movies? Here's our new one. And I feel like they're trying to like remind people, like, yeah, these are part of the same series you guys still like. There's still a lot of turds out there who feel that Star Wars died with The Last Jedi and the SJWs and all that. So I think it's I think they're trying to remind people like it's still Star Wars, guys. It's still Star Wars. You still got a Star Wars going. You like Star Wars, right? I think right? most people just don't need to go see it or, like, voice their opinions. Well, they're just trying to say, like, this is this, the saga started with this. It's going to end with this. And then it's going to be no with more. With evil C-3PO. And with Ray. evil C-3PO and evil Ray, And everyone's evil now. Cool. Yeah. So, that's the news. All right. Great. Want to learn something about Lord of the Rings? I would love to. Do you want to learn about the other rings? Wait a minute. Other rings? Sorry? No, don't even. You can't even play dumb because this is literally like right in Kate Blanchett's opening, opening monologue in Fellowship of the Ring. I'm only in the movies for the battles. Oh, okay. Cool. Well, they, then like, you won't do They talk about wings in the battles? Um, yeah. That, well, not these ones. Okay, so 
Even the most basic of bitches, right, knows that Sauron forged the One Ring in secret. And if you're a longtime listener of this podcast, you even know that he was able to forge it because in his younger years, he was a follower of Ali the Smith. Yes. But you may also recall, you may, you may, that there were 19 other rings that Sauron handed out. Specifically, three rings for the elven kings under the sky, seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone, nine for mortal men doomed to die. So I want, what what was up with the distribution of those? Why was why why did like some some races get so many and other races got another many? I actually have no idea. I can't really tell you. I can tell you that the three elf rings were by far the most powerful. So maybe he only needed to make three because they were just like beefy as shit. So if you were to combine all three of the rings of the elves and all nine of the rings of the men, would they have the equal amount of power? No, probably not. I, I mean, I feel like the elf rings are. As we get into it, the elf rings are like pretty overpowered. All right, all right. Let's see. We got to collect them all. <laughs> here i mean I, I let's see let's see what these rings all right so i'm gonna talk about these 19 other rings that were like not as good as the ring of power this is gonna be the start of a 19 but part still series part one individually yeah. there's not enough information for that there is however enough songs for me to pop one in uh somewhere in in each section of this explanation and i want you to try and figure out how they're related Okay. I mean, this is another one of Joanna's wonderful musical connections episodes where she comes up with these wonderfully relevant connections. So usually, like, the first one or two are very related. Yeah, you were not a Steve real fast. And then after that, I'm just kind of like, this has a word in it that's related, and I just Uh, kind of want to play this song. And that's kind of how it's going to go right now. Yeah, she runs out of steam real quick. In Tolkien's mythology, the 19 other rings are magical artifacts forged by the elves of Eregion. Eregion is a kingdom near Moria, a.k.a. Khazadum, that had close ties with the dwarves. Do you remember that? It's been a minute. Vaguely, but yes. Eregion sounds like a familiar place to me. Now, while Sauron didn't make the rings himself, he was closely involved in their crafting, and this is because he had made friends with the elves of Eregion in the guise of Anatar, Lord of Gifts. A.K.A. Right. the hot version of Sauron that set that one girl's arm hair on fire. Right, the girl who thought he was a babe. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so 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 hot Sauron made friends with Celebrimbor of Aregion. Right, okay, yeah. okay. Now, when the elves of Aregion realized that Anatar was Sauron and they had effed up, they tried to keep the ring from him. But unfortunately, they only succeeded in guarding the three elven rings. A.K.A. like the only ones that matter because Tolkien likes elves way better than everybody else. This is a favoritism, yeah. Yeah, so speaking of the elven rings, let's, let's talk about them because after the one ring, they are the most powerful of the 20 rings of power. Okay. These rings were actually free of Sauron's influence as he did not have any hand in their making. However, the three elven rings were still forged by Celebrimbor using the arts taught to him by Sauron, and thus were still bound to the One Ring. Okay. When Anatar, aka Hot Sauron, revealed that he was actually an evil dickhole, the three rings were given to the most powerful elves in Middle-earth at the time. So let's talk about them in order, because they all have names. Cool. The first ring was Narya. Naria. Naria was adorned with a ruby. It is never explicitly stated what kind of metal Naria is made of, which you better believe bothers Tolkien superfans and metallurgists the world over. Okay, well, what is what is the One Ring made of? Do we know what kind of metal that is? Nope. I gold? Think, I think it's called magic metal, guys. Is it guys. gold? Because you can throw it in a fire. It doesn't melt. It doesn't hold even on, get... hold on, hold on, hold on. What is the One Ring made of? This is a big oversight on Tolkien's part. I want to see... Gold! 
All right, but or, no, it appeared to be made of simply gold. It's magic gold though, because you can throw it in a fire. It doesn't get hot. It's basically like except yes. it's a glow on it. It's gold. It's basically gold, but it does things that gold like cannot do. Because gold's a notoriously soft metal. Soft metal, yeah. And this is definitely not like yeah. Gimli hits it with an axe, and it doesn't it, even get it didn't do nothing. So gold, my ass. But anyway, the name Narya is derived from the Quenya Nar, meaning fire. So it was also called Narya the Great, the Red Wing, the Kindler, and the Ring of Fire. I wonder what song this is going to be. The Kindler? <laughs> That's all I'm going to play of it. I fell into a big stinking Kindler. <laughs> I was kindled good. You know, Johnny Cash's breakout hit, The Kindler. The Kindler. <laughs> All right, and so. I felt like a swindler because I stole the kindler. What is a kindler, kindler anyway? You know, a fire. You kindle a fire. Well, a kindler is like one who kindles, but you can't, it's not something you can like steal unless you steal a person who has like a tinderbox or something. It's about Johnny Cash stealing the elven ring, the kindler. Oh my god. Also, there's a movie about it. Yeah. Where um, the, the elven ring, the kindler, has to rescue a bunch of um, uh, dwarves. Yeah. From being wiped out, and it's called Kindler's List. Oh my god, Ryan. You know what? I bet that made the dwarves hurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though they had Johnny Cash's Empire of Dirt yeah. at that point, I'm pretty sure it made them hurt. Now, at the start of the... By the way, that was like, just tiptoeing up to the point of being inappropriate, but I like it. Was it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I always thought... Didn't Tolkien always say, like, oh, the dwarves are the Jews, right? No, he didn't say the dwarves were the Jew. He just liked allegory, so he wouldn't have said anything that direct, but he said he based elements of their culture okay. on Jews. That's where I got that funny parody movie idea for. But um Kindler's List. Kindler's List. Yeah, that sounds pretty funny. Haha. <laughs> I've seen Schindler's List. It is it is like comedy gold. I could have saved one more dwarf. <laughs> With this pin. One two more dwarfs. Yeah, that's that's Johnny Cash's line. Oh, he's in that movie so yes, Liam Neeson. It's okay. Liam Neeson. <laughs> At the start of the war of the elves and Sauron, Celebrimbor gave Narya to Gilgalad, High King of the Noldor. Do you remember Gilgalad? Yes. Um, so he was besties with the men of Numenor after their island sank, right? Mm-hmm. He is also in Lego The Lord of the Rings. He is. We played as him. Gilgalad entrusted Narya to his lieutenant, Círdan, Lord of, Lord of the Havens of Mithlond. Do you remember Círdan the shipwright? Yes. Yes. So he kept it after Gilgalad's death, or possibly not, because actually, according to Lord of the Rings, Gilgalad received only the ring Vilya, while Círdan received Narya from the start. Oh. Yeah. So who's right. Like... I, no, neither. This is what happens when you write a complex mythology over the course of, like, five decades. Like, you forget what you wrote. Yeah, okay. Or you, like, intend to change it and then you just never do. But anyway. Um, so Círdan ends up with Narya. In the Third Age, Círdan, recognizing Gandalf's true nature as one of the Maiar from Valinor, gave him the Ring of Fire to aid him in his labors. And it is described as having the power to inspire others to resist tyranny, domination, and despair. Oh, okay. That's pretty useful. Mm, so it evokes hope in others around the wielder. And it also gives resistance to the weariness of time. So that's why Círdan looks, like, just so bodacious. Because he's inspiring loyalty like, like, and that's like he looks like he's, That's why he looks like he spends, like, three hours moisturizing this is, a day. This is the ring of posi- posi vibes. Posi vibes and, like, anti-aging. This is the anti-aging. Oh. This is the antioxidant ring. So who was wearing that during the War of the Ring? Um, uh, Kieran. Actually, Gandalf. Oh, Gandalf was wearing it? Uh-huh. Hold on. He, I didn't see any ring in that finger. Yeah, hold on. Let me, like, double check. No, there are definitely rings on Gandalf's finger. Everybody in this movie is wearing But a rings. big big ruby but, ring? I didn't on. see that. Was Gandalf 
wearing Naria. The first result, Gandalf always wore Naria. Oh, so take that, Kier in the ship, right? Yeah. The Elven Rings were not visible to those who were not meant to see them. Oh, come on. For example, Frodo could see Galadriel's ring, but Sam could not, and this was because Frodo himself was a ring bearer. Gandalf only openly wore his ring at the Grave Havens. Well, that seems to, like, contradict the idea that Gandalf always wore wore Naria. You can't use absolutes, Well, look at this picture. Look at this picture, okay? Yeah. Is it going to have a a big-ass ruby It looks like a big-ass ruby ring. Yeah. Like, look at that. Look at that. You seeing it? Oh, yeah. Gandalf always wore Narya. (laughs) Except he only did in the Grey Havens. I thought it was his wedding ring. (laughs) Yeah. Or maybe (laughs) Who's Gandalf married to? Uh, the sea. Uh, The sea? I thought it was was his class ring from high school. (laughs) Yeah. It's got, like, JV football yeah. like, carved on one side and, like, 4-H on the other. Yeah, well, you know, he's all those, like, after, you know, extracurricular magic groups and stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I got nothing else. Let's keep cool. going. Cool. All right, cool. So, that's the first ring. Nenya. Nenya so, business. Nenya business. The second ring, Nenya, was made of mithril and adorned with a diamond. Isn't Nenya one of the one of the ladies? One of the, um... um who's crying girl? You're thinking of Nyena. Okay. And what's interesting is Stephen Colbert actually made that exact mistake on his show one time. Me and Stephen on equal footing here. Mixing up Nyena and Ninya. Different. Different things. Well, one's a lady. They're not one, even both characters. One's a one's goddess, a one's a ring. Yep. It was made of mithril and adorned with a diamond, and the name comes from the Quenya Nen, meaning water. Okay. It is also called the Ring of Adamant, the White Ring, and the Ring of Water. I fell into a splashy ring of water. Are you telling me you don't feel like listening to this song right now? Because I always feel like listening to this song. I love you like water. Now, Joanna told me a very messed up thing about this band a few years back. I thought they were always called Live. Yeah. They're called Live? Somebody told me that. Somebody told me that at my writer's circle, that they were called Live, and I almost quit the circle on the spot. That is disturbing. I was like, that's stupid. That's very... It's not. Live? 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 That's dumb. That's that's a lady who plays an elf, not a band. That would be like if Queen was actually pronounced Quen. <laughs> or Rush would actually pronounce Rash. <laughs> or Roosh. Be so stupid. Roosh. That's so stupid. I mean, like, far be it for me to criticize, but I am criticizing that's dumb. Yeah. Anyway... Our love is like water. The ring of water, specifically. Again, a, a splashy ring of water. I think my song is better, but let's keep going. All right, so. The ring was used by Galadriel of Lothlorien and possessed a radiance that matched that of the stars. While Frodo Baggins could see it by virtue of being a ring bearer, Samwise Gamgee tells Galadriel that he saw, quote, a star through your fingers. Okay. So to him, it just looks like a bright-ass light. Um, all right, all right. But in reality, though, we know that Samwise Gamgee is the brightest-ass light of all. Oh. He's a ring bearer later, so... He is. I wonder if he could have seen it. I wonder if when he went to Valinor and he met Galadriel there, if he could see it. I bet he could. I bet he could. Oh, nice bling there, Miss Galadriel. If you could see, like, anything at all, because he was 102 years old. But anyway, Nenya's power gave preservation, protection, and possibly concealment from evil. Because as Tolkien wrote, there is a secret power here that holds evil from the land. He was talking about Lothlorien. Right. However, the fact that orcs from Moria entered Lothlorien after the Fellowship of the Ring and Lothlorien... Lothlorien itself had suffered previous attacks from Sauron's orcs sent from Dol Guldur suggests the power of the ring did not necessarily mean, like, you were good at fighting. Like, not necessarily equal military prowess. Okay. 
Um, it was said that, protected as it was by Nenya, Lothlorien would not have fallen unless Sauron had personally come to attack it. Ooh, okay. Galadriel used these powers to create and sustain Lothlorien, but it also increased in her the longing for the sea and her desire to return to the Undying Lands. Mm, okay. Once she did return to Valinor, the magic and beauty of Lothlorien faded along with the Malorn trees, and it was gradually depopulated until by the time Arwen came there to die in 121 of the Fourth Age, it was deserted and in ruin. But I mean, like, that just kind of sets the atmosphere there, because you're like, come come there, die anyway. I feel like it would be kind of neat looking, kind of grown over by the forest all around. And she just, like, laid down and died. Yeah. She felt a pain in her heart and she laid down and died, Um, which is cool and thematic, and there's a nice upbeat story for your long weekend. Yeah, Nenya. Nenya. Now, the third ring, Vilya, was made of gold and adorned with a giant sapphire. The name is derived from the Quenya Vilya, meaning air. And it is also called the Ring of Firmament, the Blue Ring, or the Ring of Air. Ring of Air, okay. Can you guess the connection? That's part of the game. Is this by Air Supply? Yes! <laughs> There's so many songs that have air in them, and you didn't pick any of them. I wanted to play this song. <laughs> like, the logic of the game is not as important to me as just, like, what song I feel like playing. I don't think logic's ever important to you, Joanna. <laughs> That's a weird thing to say. I've chosen logic. So, which one of these rings is the power of heart? <laughs> Mati does not get no oh, okay. I am sad to say we only get earth. We don't even get earth. We only get uh, fire, water, water, and air. We don't get earth Aww, or heart. Bummer. I know. It is generally considered that Vilya was the mightiest of the three elf rings, but its exact power is never specified. However, it is reasonable to speculate that it also possesses the power to heal and preserve, uh, because it's mentioned in the Silmarillion that Celebrimbor forged the three elven rings to heal and to preserve, rather than to enhance the strengths of the individual bearer, which is what the seven and the nine and other lesser rings did. Okay. Vilya's power of healing may have been particularly strong as Elrond, to whom Vilya eventually passed after Gilgalad, you know, croaked, seems to be the greatest healer in Middle-earth at the time of the quest. So you want to know why Frodo managed to survive being stabbed by a Nazgul and getting full-body gangrene? It's a magic ring, baby! He wasn't wearing that. Magic ring? No, Elrond was. And so he's, like, very good at healing. Oh, okay. He probably just, like, laid on hands or something. Or did, like, some psychic surgery. You know, the thing where you, like, palm chicken guts and you, like, rub them all over the person's stomach and you make it look... He probably did that. I want to see that Except it actually worked because his ring was awesome. So I'm noticing, like, with... Yeah, these rings all kind of, like, affect other people. Yeah. But the one ring doesn't. I mean, it, it sort can, of does if you get close. It makes you invisible and it makes Ringwraith able to see you. And also Sauron. Well, it also makes you look very powerful, theoretically. So was Frodo, like, yoked when he was wearing that thing? <laughs> I always wonder. Did he suddenly get, like, very swole? Like, if you were to, like, did he have, like, six-pack all of a sudden? It extended his life. It extended his okay, life. Okay, okay. I don't know. Like, I guess when Sauron's wearing it, he can, like, swing his mace and hit a bunch of guys at once. I wonder if, like theoretically, that. if, like, if Frodo was able to, like, swing, if he had the opportunity to swing a mace, would he have been really good Could at he have picked it up, right. What if he, like, swung Sam? As a weapon. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be good. Like, did a fastball special on Sam. That'd be really I bet he would have been able to throw him really hard. It would have looked really weird for everyone on the outside, because it would be like, Sam just get picked up by some imaginary force and just kind of, like, <laughs> launched <around>. forward. <laughs> yeah. 
I think hobbits were- Alright, I'm just curious because it seems- So ill-disposed towards, like, physical violence and, like, power that they just didn't Because this person's, like, you know, inspiration and, and defense and and healing of properties. And the One Ring's just like, yay, turn invisible. There is also some speculation that Vilia controlled minor elements, considering the event where Elrond summoned a torrent of water as the Nazgul attempted to capture Frodo. Mm, okay. But to rewind a bit, when Sauron destroyed Aragian, Vilia was sent to the Elven King Gilgalad far away in Linden, where it was given t- later to Elrond, who bore it through the last years of the Second Age and all the Third Age. As Gilgalad was the High King of the Noldor Elves at the time of the Ring's distribution, it was thought that he was the best fit to care for the most powerful of the three Elven Rings. But then he died, so I guess Elrond was like, a good enough second stringer. He's pretty good, right? He's he's a good uh, understudy. I for mean, the he's ring. only half elven, whatever. But that makes him all the stronger because he has to compensate for that racial prejudice he encounters every day of his life in Rivendell. I've actually literally never seen anybody be racist towards Elrond. Not on camera because elves are very like they're not going to say it out loud. Behind closed doors, though, they're like be- on yik- they're hopping on yik yak and they're saying all kinds of nasty uh, things are behind g- a curtain of anonymity. They're going to be so catty. I literally, feel like. they never get off yik yak. Yeah, saying racist things. I mean, I've I've seen the Bakshi version of Legolas. Those elves are catty. <laughs> he does make some catty bitch faces. Yes, he does. Courtesy of Anthony Daniels. Yes. All right, so that's the three Elven rings. But what about the seven for the dwarf lords and their halls of stone? The ring of grumpy. The well, ring the, of sleepy. The ring of bashful. It enhances the your properties of- so it just makes you more bashful. <laughs> the ring of dark. Yeah, it makes him more dark. Yeah. And it makes Dopey like so dumb he needs to be on a respirator. I it makes Sneezy sneeze so hard he like cracks all his ribs instantly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got constant nosebleeds. It just gives Sneezy like the bubonic plague. It's good. These are good rings. Yeah. Well, believe it or not, the dwarf rings were actually given directly to the seven dwarf lords by Sauron himself. Okay. Dr- after he stole them from a Personal delivery. Yes. All right. And apparently these dwarf lords were the kings of the se- seven houses, as Gandalf mentions that the rings were given to the, quote, dwarf kings. Now, unlike the elf rings, the seven dwarf rings don't all have special names and elements and individual powers, because Tolkien liked elves better. Uh. But the most famous of the dwarf rings was the ring of Thoror. And in dwarven Ooh, tradition, yes. it was said that Celebrimbor gave the ring to Durin III, king of Durin's folk, before the downfall of Regian. Yes. However, this was most likely bullshit, as Celebrimbor was said to have yielded the seven, all seven. And at the same time, on seven yes. fingies? Nope. No, wielded. I meant wielded. <laughs> he didn't yield them. He wielded them all he at once. Wielded, no, he, he yielded <laughs> he them. He wielded them. See, he had three them. fingers with no, no rings on them. He yielded them to Sauron after being tortured. Oh, okay. He, didn't, he, he got didn't. tortured. Because he could have seven dwarf rings and the three elf rings all on two hands and be like, I got the bling, I got the powers of Calabrimbo. I wonder if that would be enough to summon Captain Planet. I mean, probably at least like two of them. Two Captain Planet. It takes five rings to summon one Captain Planet. So, so it would ten, take ten to sell, summon two. Two. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Captain's Planet. Do you remember the episode of Captain Planet where Captain Planet got like all fat and apathetic? Yeah. And he was like, I leave do. me alone! Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. That was like... Definitely one of the best episodes of Captain Planet. It was anyway. That's some nice revisionist history on the part of the dwarves, saying they got it from Celebrimbor, their buddy, their elf buddy, instead of from like the so, evil dark lord. Question: So Sauron was delivering these these rings across the land, sprinkling them across all of his friends. Yes. How did he pick who got what rings? Like, how do you say these powerful ones? I'm going to give them to some elves. These crappy middle tier rings. 
My dwarf pals. Well, the elves are the most powerful, so they would be the best weapon for him to wield. Oh, I see. Connection to he the wants one to manipulate ring, them with so his one ring. Okay, of course, okay. of course he does. Of because that's the one ring's power, right? Yeah. It, it brings the other rings together and yep. stuff. Okay. The dwarf lords proved resistant to the malevolent magic of the rings. They're pretty hardy. Um, they, it couldn't even turn them invisible. And uh, oh. they're very hard to tame, and thoughts of their hearts are hidden. So the rings were used for the gaining of wealth. Primarily. Oh. Yeah, baby. Um, they amplified the wearer's natural skills and desire of dominion, which therefore made the dwarves greedy and exceedingly rich. The rings also gave them the power to multiply whatever they mind. Um, I don't know how. So maybe they put Wait two gold pieces together in a candlelit room and played some sexy music. I don't know. And they made four gold pieces. And they had like confused. some gold piece babies. Uh, babies. Played... Okay. So I guess with dwarves, is it nature over nurture that they're kind of like greedy treasure hunters i don't know is it is it their nature or is it the rings that made them that way it's kind of like a thorny thing to dive into but um since the rings generally enhance whatever attributes you already have i would guess that they were like greedy to begin with okay okay yeah now um the rings kindled greed and wrath on the dwarves bringing evils that in the long term benefited sauron so he's playing the long game here right yes four of the dwarf rings were eventually swallowed or destroyed by dragons but Sauron succeeded in finding two, and the last one was worn by Thrain II, Thorn's dad, but in 2845 of the Third Age, Thrain was imprisoned by Sauron in the dungeons of Dol Guldur, and the ring was taken from him while being tortured. So ultimately, Sauron was able to recover three of the seven dwarf rings. Not bad. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. Now, three out of seven ain't bad. I mean, this, it's, it's pretty bad. Actually. It's pretty bad. It's like less than half. It's definitely a failing grade so, on like any test you can imagine. But, hang on, but dragons ate the other four rings. Yeah, couldn't. Isn't Sauron strong enough to like pull a ring out of a dragon if you wanted to? I don't think to? he like knew where they were. Like in their guts, right? Like were they being like? Could they be digested? I mean, maybe they would were lesser, f- they were lesser rings after all. Would dragon fire melt one of the rings that was forged? I think that's probably um, the only thing that could. Really. Yeah. Besides, like, Mount Doom? Besides Mount Doom, yeah. Wow, okay. So, yeah, so I think he was SOL there. Now, this next bit comes from an article from Michael Martinez's uh, Middle Earth and J.R.R. Tolkien blog. Martinez says, quote, To the best of my knowledge, J.R.R. Tolkien never wrote an account of how Sauron could have bestowed seven rings of power upon dwarf lords. It seems odd to think that Durin of Khazad-dûm, a.k.a. Moria, who had aided the elves in their war against Sauron, would accept gifts from Sauron. Yeah. Like, Sauron's evil, right? Right. Like, they presumably know this. He's a bad man. So, like, why are they taking gifts from him? Especially the ones who lived right next to Eregion. But if he was, like, a hot boy at the time, maybe they wouldn't feel... Aha! Okay, so now you're on to something. So, Martinez outlines his theory, which basically boils down to a couple key points. One, the dwarven kingdoms were really spread out here and there, so there were plenty of dwarves who didn't know Sauron personally and wouldn't have been on guard if he showed up, especially if he was hot Sauron. Right. Or some other persona who presumably would have been equally hot. Right. It's also possible that the elves never explained to the dwarves why they fought a war with Sauron in the Second Age. Because they're assholes. So, again, the dwarves wouldn't have known to beware of a powerful friend offering them magic rings. This guy's hot. He has some good rings. He's all right. We're going to accept them. He's all right. So essentially, the dwarves never got the memo on Stranger Danger. And once they got a taste of the rings, it was basically like this. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was originally going to do Money by Pink Floyd, but that was too obvious. Yeah, this is much less obvious because it starts with the word money, money, money. <laughs> Unlike Pink Floyd's song, it starts with money. <laughs> money, money. 
They literally say it so many times. <laughs> so you pick the less obvious choice. Less obvious. Or they say Where money the only like nine times in a row. <laughs> the only lyric is money. That's less obvious. That's more subtle, I like to think. Wow. Yeah, good. All right. Last but not least. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Last but right. not least. But actually kind of least, if we're being honest. We have the nine rings for men doomed to die. These rings were made along with the others in Oregon and were forged by Celebrimbor. They were locked away in one of the safes in Oregon, but all were captured by Sauron. Mm-hmm. He gave nine of them to nine kings of men, three of which were Numenorians, and one was an Easterling. Because, really? you know, Sauron, like, won a diverse workplace. Yeah, he was a token hire, but still, it's better he than was not a token. He was not a token hire. He was, like, he, this, the Easterling actually was, like, a really high-ranking Nazgul, actually. Like, he, oh. he ruled at it. I'm just saying, like... Did we not talk about him before? We talked about them. Yeah, I, I forgot he was an Easterling, but... Yeah, we, the Easterling Nazgul. I think we talked so about him. So he's, like, often called Kamul. Kamul. Yeah, he was the um, the second chief, second command. Kamul And he Harris. was the only ringwraith who had a name given to him by Tolkien. So yeah, Kamul Harris. He was a, a freaking cop. <laughs> <laughs> so, what a bootlicker. All right, so... The owners of the Nine Rings eventually became the Nazgul. Right. Now, while all the magic rings gave their wearers powerful magical abilities and gave them the ability to influence people's wills, on men, these effects could be somewhat special. Their rings gave them very long lives, but the wearers eventually began to feel worn out and to fade away and become wraiths. So quality of life wasn't that great. The yeah, nine well, kings... Curious. What was the in-between of that? Just, like, feeling really tired. Like, not aging, but feeling kind of exhausted all but, the like, time. But, like, there had to be an in-between it's point basically like, feeling like you were anemic. There's probably, like, a point where, like, you're, you're too old... To live, but you're also too like you. You haven't died yet. Yeah. What's yeah, that? What's like, that between a man like and too rape? old to live, too corrupted to die. Like we're seeing between this. So there's 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 old crappy human and there's Nazgul. What's in the middle there? Um, I guess you just like generally like, you just kind of like just, fade away. You, you start kinda, fading. You start getting like, like more literally. More like I don't know if it happens all at once or if it happens over time. I cannot answer. I feel like that it'd be an over time situation. You. I feel like people would notice like hey, isn't Grandpa getting kind of like translucent i think by that point the nazgul were probably only hanging out with each other oh you think so like can you imagine you can't be in society like you're five bajillion years old and also like yeah. you're see-through it's gonna be like nine society's not gonna accept that nine sad sacks sitting around being like i don't feel like living i just i just take all these iron supplements but they don't help i'm so tired all the time it feels like boring Time. It takes me like five minutes to get up to change the channel on the TV. <sighs> My kids never call me. They put me in the worst home. I look like I'm 35, so everybody there bullies me. <laughs> anyway, started to uh, divert from uh, ring chat here. But... That's okay. That's okay. So, um, the nine kings given the rings, turned into ring wraiths because Sauron was able to take control of those rings since they were linked to the one ring. Got it. So, okay. uh, a little footnote here. In the Council of Elrond, Gandalf claims that the Nazgul kept their rings, stating, quote, the nine the Nazgul keep. However, in most other references, it's mentioned that Sauron had taken those rings. Also, Frodo doesn't see any rings on them at Weathertop, and it's believed huh. that if they did wear the rings, they would have been fully invisible, including their cloaks. So remember how, like, yeah, they we, look, we can like, see them. kind of dumbasses, like, they're invisible, quote-unquote, except their clothes aren't, so. So, uh, where'd they keep them? They have, like a, they have like a jewelry box at home. No, 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 no. Sauron had him. Oh, Sauron took him. Taking... Sauron took him. But he's not even a person at that point. He took. Well, he had. To, so he was like really weak, right? So he took like um, the three dwarf rings that he could find. He took all of the seven. But he doesn't even have a body at that point. 
I know, but this is him like trying to gather up power so he where, can get back is, to having I'm a body. I'm just saying, where's he keeping him? He can't gather him. He's just a big spirit, disembodied eyeball thing. Like it just melted in the eye or something. Like it, it went into the pupil. Oh, he's wearing them on like his optic nerve or something. They're just like bound on his eyelashes. He's yeah, got little he rings is. on his eyelashes. Yeah, exactly. It's really cute. I don't get it. Okay, but I don't I, no, it's, I sort of how he's keeping them. You don't, you don't have to think about it. You don't have right, to think about it. I'm thinking about, about, I'm thinking about Joanna. I'm thinking now, about it's it. it's possible that the line in the Council of Elrond represents Tolkien's earlier intention that the Nazgul should still be wearing their rings. But if that's so, he changed his mind later and then forgot to revise that sentence. Sauron took the rings back from the Nazgul, therefore making himself stronger, but making them look like goddamn idiots who didn't know how to turn their clothes invisible. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so basically it was like this. Okay, you were singing this, like, a day or two ago? You and I was known. like, why is she singing Clay Aiken? <laughs> if I'm, like, simultaneously doing podcast notes and singing a song, you can bet that it's going to show up. Uh, it, yeah, I, wow. I thought myself the master of logic here, but turns out you stumped me. Checkmate. Now, the Nazgul, if, if they were invisible, if they could just watch Frodo in his room. Oh, wait. They already are. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> are the people listening to this podcast even like old enough to 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 remember Clay Aiken? I hope so. This is like two thousand three. I don't think we have Zoomer listeners, but if we, we do, might, we might have Zoomers like Lord of the Rings. Keep zooming, Zoomers. Um, actually, Zoomers, you're. It's probably a blessing that you were born in a, like a post Clay Aiken world. I have to say. <sighs> yeah, we, yeah, he's not a bad guy. He's just like seems kind of sad and like he just wants to be petted like a puppy and told that he's good yeah real big gums on that guy <laughs> Some real big gu- <laughs> now were you team claire or were you team ruben was ruben all the way baby i was also team ruben i i still think we, i even like, called ruben in to vote better. for ruben when i did the too second season of American i Idol. did too i was voting against my own dad he was a clay guy Oh, of course my dad was a clay guy. Because my dad is also desperate for people to like him, just like clay. He's also racist. So he's also racist. I don't think clay is racist. I'm sure he's not. Well, they seem like really good buddies on American Idol. But. Yeah, yeah. But my, yeah, my dad is very racist. And generally he votes for the cute girls, but there were no cute girls left. And so like clay's, I guess he's in basically his mind, cute cuter than Ruben. He's basically like, a cute girl. More of a cute point. girl than Ruben. Yeah, okay. And so that's why he probably went for clay. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Guys, sorry about that. <laughs> sorry for 2004 here. Sorry for 2004, you guys. Wait, hold on. That's another song I have to pull out. Jeez Louise. So this is um, Peter Jackson expressing his, his regret that Lord of the Rings had to end when it did. <laughs> Here's one million one. Girl, this is my sorry for 2004. And I ain't gonna mess them no more this year. Okay, so here's the thing. So I was 17 in 2004, and I was like a really shitty 17 year old. So I too am sorry for 2004. 2004, we are sorry for 2004. Just a bad year in general. Just a bad, just not good. Anyway, that's what I have for you. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Do they make like replicas of all those other rings? Do you have the whole set? They have Nanya. I have Nanya. Um, they have the Ring of Barahir. I don't think that they have like any others. Barahir isn't even like one of the Rings of Power. They don't got. Um, the, they don't got the Kindler. They do not have the Kindler. What I need? I need for my perfect Gandalf the White cosplay. I Hold need. on. Let's see Naria replica. Let's see. I'm sure, someone's made it by now. This right? has officially licensed Naria Gandalf's ring from the Lord of the Rings. Heck this, yes. This supposedly there is an officially licensed version. Um. But I don't know. Let's see. This is a good replica of Naria. Oh, <laughs> Gandalf good. and Kiron's ring and one of the three elven rings. 
Some of the detail is not entirely accurate, however. Weird advertising. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. If you click on it, you get uh, Amazon's. We could not find that page. Boo. Yeah. Let's see well, there's they... only one in the whole world. It's yeah. built by Sauron. They can't really just um, happen to stock all the time. They have, I mean, like, Vilya. They, they, but, but, like, they're kind of guessing on the design for that. I'm sure there's a lot of, like, Etsy sellers who make their own versions. Make their of... own versions. Yeah. So if you want, you know... The, what was it? The 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 Kindle? The, the Kindler. If you want the Kindler, if you want air supply, um, <laughs> if you want If I Was Invisible, then y- you're just going to have to hit up Etsy. That's your only choice. All right. And it's going to be like some artist interpretation. But Nanya is screen accurate, which is why I paid like 200 New Zealand dollars. Jeez Louise. It's the most expensive thing I bought in New Zealand. Oh my God. But you know what? It's worth it because it doesn't turn my finger green. Golly. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Yeah, that's probably a conversation you and I should have had like three years ago. I didn't know you spent that much on the... Anywho, what do you have for me? Boy, oh boy. Anyway, I said last week I'd be getting back into the lore side of Star Wars. And what better lore than the very first lore that was added to it after the movies? The very first? Like, like right on the heels of... Yes. A New Hope? Yeah, so this is a thing called Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Oh, we've talked about this before. This was like the novel that was written to be a sequel to the first Star Wars movie. Yeah, but you, it- you can take over. You can teach this for me. It's fine. No, you go ahead. I mean, like, I I bought this book. I'm the one. I'm the reason where it's on our shelves, so. Right. So like Joanna mentioned, I don't think we've talked about it on the show before, but this is a 1977 book written by Alan Dean Foster. And Alan Dean Foster is a pretty prolific sci-fi writer. He does a lot of novelizations for movies and stuff. And he was hired to do the novelization of Star Wars in 1976. And he wasn't given much. He was given the script. He was given a rough footage of the movie and some production paintings and said, go, write now, Star Wars. Have I've fun. read it. And there's like a lot of stuff in there that is not in the finished version of the movie. You probably have all the scenes with like Fixer and Cammy and like Biggs out on like Anchorhead yeah, and yeah, stuff Yeah, so like they're like, yes, exactly. They really flesh out like a Biggs and like... You're thinking, of, thinking, Biggs of, is definitely thinking about Luke's it. pals. You got Fixer. You got Cammy. You yeah, got Biggs. Yeah, yeah. And they're all repairing things. And Luke's a little twerp who no one really likes. Like, that there's definitely this whole scene where it's just like Luke whining to his friends. Yes. It, it, it adds nothing, but it's in there. It's a scene they filmed and it was cut out of the movie. Yes, for so, good reason. It's pretty good, though. I like that scene. Anyway, as part of his contract, he would do the, the ghost written version of Star Wars the novelization. He's also required to do a second novel, fused as the base for a low budget sequel to Star Wars in case the film was not successful. They oh. wanted to make a. They wanted to hedge their bets. Now, Lucas was a canny guy. So was 20th Century Fox at the time. They had, they were betting big on this movie, and so they wanted to make sure they are going to get every red cent they could get out of this thing, even if it screwed up, even if it was a huge so flop. So flop, what we would have gotten instead of The Empire Strikes Back would have been Splinter of the Mind's Splinter Eye. Splinter of the Mind's Straight Eye. Straight to video, probably. So, Alan Dean Foster's given a lot of flexibility in coming up with his own story Can for I this. Can I just say, like, Splinter of the Mind's Eye is such a 1970s sci-fi title. It's an awesome title. It's I feel like, such, as like, far as Star Wars books go, it's got maybe one of the best titles. So he's given a lot of leeway, but one of the key requirements, though, is that he had to use props from the previous production or have them reused in some way okay. in the story. Just so to make sure that they could reuse them if they did the, the movie. Right. So they had to have props that already existed or could be repurposed into a new setting. So we had to think um, about every single object had to be something that had already been in the first movie. Or just movie. like something that could be easily like taken from the old first movie and then like spray painted and make it something new. Right? Okay. He decided to place his story in a misty jungle planet to reduce set and background costs because I thought it'd be like really easy to just like find a, you know, a forest somewhere and film oh, this sure. thing. Oh, sure. Sure, 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 sure. Like a, like a story tradition of B-movies everywhere. Right. Also, Han Solo and Chewbacca are notably 
notably absent because Harrison Ford had not signed a contract for any sequels at the time. So Han and Chewie just like aren't in it? They are not in this book. Like, are they mentioned ever? Not where far as I've gotten. <laughs> okay, so they're just written out. Nobody remembers them. So George Lucas read the script, the manuscript that he wrote, and his only criticism was to take out a dogfight, which would have been way too expensive to film. So, a dogfight? Like X-Wings. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Okay, so I'm literally thinking of, like, Michael Vick. No, I'm no, like, no. He didn't want to have a dogfight because it was expensive. No, now because it's a horribly space dogfight, Joey. Got it. Got it. So no spaceships fighting. No, so that's cool. That just basically removes, like, one of the touchstones of the Star Wars series. But okay. There's there still ships in it, but they just didn't. The, they just thought, couldn't fight each other. He thought that ILM would be too expensive to do the other stuff already. So. They, could, like, they could grimace at each other, but they right. couldn't actually fight. So Dean Foster cut that part out. But anyway, this book came out. And thus the expanded universe began. This is the first expanded universe thing, even before the Marvel Star Wars comics. This is considered to be the first, the birth of the expanded universe. But it's not expanded. It's like a totally different universe. No, it's pretty. Or did people find a way to fit it in? They so fit that... it in. They fit it in. Oh, so and it actually did happen. Did you read this one? No. Okay, so it's not as different as you'd think. And in fact, as far as Star Wars books go, it's certainly not the craziest. It's pretty mundane. It's pretty simple. I kind of like it for that because it doesn't get too stupid. And it's actually really well written. But you can see how Alan Dean Foster is writing with a budget in mind. Okay. He wasn't writing with like, you know, this is no Shadows of the Empire. This is no like, you know, Galaxy of Fear nonsense. He's not going for broke. He's not like bringing in a bunch of crazy creatures. or It's basically... Right. It's... I mean, I guess if he was budget conscious, it's pro- my guess is it probably ends up being a lot of dudes talking in rooms. There is some of that, but there's some pretty good scenes and stuff. There's some good little set pieces. I mean, there's not much really, as far as, like, story-wise, it's like, whoa, this is really weird. But there are a few things, and there's a pattern that develops I think you might find interesting. So okay. I will describe it as we go. So, let's start with Splinter of the Mind's Eye. It takes place very shortly after Episode Four, an undetermined amount of time afterwards, and Luke and Leia are sent to help the underground freedom fighters of a planet called Circapus. Circapoose? Circapoose. Circapoose. It's, it's spelled C-I-R-C-A-R-P-O-U-S. Circapoose. 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 Now, here's how Luke uh, is described in the first chapter. Okay. Looking at, at Leia. Yeah. Okay. Oh, no. Is it real horny? It's going to be real horny, isn't it? Let me, let's see, let's see. And, and Luke has read this and approved it, so, like, all his stuff about knowing that Leia was Luke's <laughs> sister is <laughs> such bull. <laughs> such bull. He hasn't even heard it yet, but let's hear it. It's, it's not gonna be horny. It's gonna be horny. It's gonna be really horny. Whenever he looked at her, the other caused emotions to boil within him like soup too long in the fire. No matter if she was separated from him by near vacuum or only by an arm's length in a conference room. First her portrait and then her person had initiated the irreversible metamorphosis from farm boy to fighter pilot. Now the two of them were the official emissaries from the ruling council of the rebel government to facilitate on Circarpus. He couldn't imagine anyone who could not be persuaded by Princess Leia. She could convince him of anything. Luke treasured those moments when she forgot her station and titles. He dreamed of a time when she might forget them forever. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god. Like, she's, she's a babe. Yeah, well, I mean, like, she is a babe, but, like, in light of later events, it's, yeah. not, very, it's not very comfy. No. So Luke is flying his X-Wing with R2-D2, Leia's in a Y-Wing with C-3PO, and on the way, her Y-Wing is has, having troubles. So they have to make an emergency stop on a planet called Mimban, which is a mostly unexplored planet, except for, like, an early Imperial scouting expedition, like, years ago. And there might not even be a service station there, but she's gonna crash either way, so it's like, we might as well... Might as well just crash Might here. as well land here and see if there's anything, right? But on the way through the atmosphere, the crazy... This kind of, like, rainbow energy storm starts breaking out among them. Like, uh-huh. it's, like, describe it as, like, a thunderstorm, but, like, the clouds are all, like, psychedelic and crazy, and there's, like, lightning arcing through the clouds and everything. Cool, cool. And uh, it causes Luke and Leia to get separated, and Luke crash lands with only a rough idea of where she went down. 
Now, How's he gonna find her? Mimban. He has to follow his horny. Am I not? Does that sound familiar to you, this planet? Mimban? 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 No. It might not. It didn't really sound familiar to me, too, until I was, because it kind of was in the back of my mind, like, this sounds like something I know already. So, this is a planet that was featured in a recent Star Wars movie. It was? Uh, yes, in Solo, a Star Wars story about Han Solo, that's where he's sent on his infantry duty. That's where he meets Chewbacca. Is Mimban? Is Mimban. Really? Yeah. It's kind of a swampy planet, just like as described. Why are they, like, rainbow clouds? Or no, no, that, the rainbow like, clouds are for a reason. Bonkers, they're, they're, like, okay. They're going to explain the rainbow clouds in a sec, but Legends Continuity is real. Okay, Disney yeah. wrote, Disney knows about it. They yeah. put Mimban in a full movie. So Mimban, as it was in Solo, a Star Wars story, it's a marshy jungle planet. It's really misty. And so the crash isn't so bad for Luke, but the weird energy fried all of his X-Wing systems and blowed the wings off his X-Wing. Oh, no. So he's like, he's grounded. Oh, you are so grounded. Lusting after your sister, you are grounded, young man. And here's a little interesting paragraph, just kind of kind of contradicts things we see in the movies later. A mournful whistle honk sounded as he glanced down at R2-D2, who had clung securely to the metal hull nearby. I don't know what you're saying, R2, without 3PO to translate us, but I can guess. No, he does know what he's saying! Luke can understand R2-D2, thank you. Also, what, can, can, do your best impression of a mournful whistle honk. <laughs> I can do it, let's see. Pretty mournful, Joanna. R2. I can't I don't know what you're saying, R2, without your droid friend to talk for you, but, you know. But that's bullcrap, because he does. He knows everything. I know. Yeah. Aladine Foster, check yourself before you wreck yourself. I'm out already. I'm out. So, with the Force and his flight logs to guide him, Luke sets off to find Leia's crashed Y-Wing. On the way, he sees these distant giant walls and towers sticking up among the marsh that, quote-unquote, likely had not been raised by human hands. The book even describes him as an eldritch city, which is sweet. What? So we're getting into, like, Lovecraft territory A here. little bit. Luke wants to go explore, but he has to find Leia. I should mention, too, I haven't finished this book. I read half of it for the podcast. Oh, wow, Ryan. Way to prepare. I can see you take this podcast so seriously. Yeah, I didn't spend, like, ten minutes scouring YouTube for songs. I read three whole Wikipedia articles and spent, like, five whole minutes <laughs> finding vaguely related songs on YouTube. Yeah. Anyway, then they switch to Leia's perspective, and she's fine. Her Y-Wing is totally wrecked and trashed. Thing she's most stressed out about, she's going to be late for the meeting with the Circapusins. Oh, no. I'm supposed to get there. They're expecting the me. The Circapusins are so big on punctuality. Yeah. You're going to be so insulted. She's sitting stay put. She figures Luke's going to come find her instead of her finding him. And see 3 girls whining, and there's weird noises all around. She's just kind of like, C-3PO's, ah! Oh, Master Leia, we're going to be die. We're going to die here. Another cool sound effect. Uh, a shrill, hooting cry sounded like a sick trumpet close to her left. Ah, uh, whoop! That's what a sick trumpet sounds that's like? What the, that's the amount in the book See, is. when I think of a sick trumpet, okay, I either think of just like a normal trumpet sound, because the trumpet already sounds pretty sick to me, yeah. or just like a guy who's somehow shredding on a trumpet. <laughs> like, wee, 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 Oh, that's wee, a different, that's like, that's like, the, that's like. Sick trumpet, Chris. Yeah, this is 1977. I think sick meant something else. You should imagine like a guy sneezing through a trumpet, maybe instead. A whoop! From that her right, she hears, sick. That was pretty gross. Sick. From her right, she hears a loud crashing and fires her blaster into the woods and nearly shoots Luke in the process. It, Luke is here. He found her already. Okay, cool. So it was so much for the tension there. Yeah. I kind of thought they'd be separated for at least like a chapter, but shows well, what I know. They reunite and Luke is gathering her stuff from the X-Wing and we get another great paragraph. 
Carefully, he lowered himself in next to her. As he unlatched her seat, he became conscious of the confined space they were both working in. Awkwardly pressed up against him, the princess seemed to take no notice of the proximity. In the dampness, though, her body heat was near palpable to Luke, and he had to force himself to keep his attention on what he was doing. Oh my god, can somebody, like, call a fire department to put out Luke's hot <laughs> pants? Like? Yeah, he's, he's a bit horned up here. Damn! So, on the way down, Leia's wiring picked up kind of like a homing beacon for some kind of settlement, so they marched toward it in the mud, sinking into the muck now, and then... And R2-D2 goes with them. I'm not sure how, because... He can't roll in the muck. He's going to get stuck. Maybe they're they're carrying him. No, he's rolling. That doesn't make sense. He'd be, he'd be rolling also, in the deep. Also, CPPO... Yeah. <laughs> Another song you could have pulled. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hold on. No, it's okay. Okay. <laughs> and CPPO, he's made of metal. He's going to sink almost immediately, Yeah, right? they can't walk in the marsh. But, no, the book is like, fine. They're traveling through the muck. They travel till nightfall and make camp. The droids keep watch, since according to 3PO, we don't require sleep. There's nothing out there that can ingest us anyway. But in the middle of the night, Luke is woken by a shrill noise. Then he happened to glance down at his companion's face. Moistly parted in sleep, her lips seemed to beckon to him. Giving closer, seeking refuge from the damp green and brown of the swamp in that hypnotic redness. He hesitated, pulled back. She was an aristocrat and a rebel leader. For all he'd accomplished, he was still only a farmer's nephew. Peasant and princess, he mused disgustedly. His assignment was to protect her. He wouldn't abuse that trust, no matter his own hopeless hopes. He would defend her against anything that leapt out of the darkness, crawled from the slime, dropped from the gnarled branches they walked under. He would do it out of respect and admiration and possibly out of the most powerful emotions, unrequited love. That's just the thoughts he has when he's trying to make his boner go down. <laughs> he would even defend her from himself, he determined tiredly. In five minutes, he was fast asleep again. Well, that's good, but I still have to say, even if she wasn't his sister, this is just, like, entirely too horny. Yeah, yeah, this is, like, the first two chapters. Like, call me a killjoy, but but I'm like, oh, come on, you can't be that It kind of kind of tapers off as I go, but, like, there's a lot. It's pretty front-loaded with horny paragraphs. Now, I have to ask you, though, which is worse, these horny paragraphs or the Prince Cheezor horny paragraphs? Oh, Prince Cheezor. Yeah. Prince Cheezor. Because, like, at least... Okay, like, it is gross because they're, like, related, but at least they're, like, you know, two, like, regular-looking human beings. Prince Skeezer's, like, this oiled-up, like, weird ninja genie. <laughs> like, like, yeah, that's With, him. like, greasy green skin, and, and he's, like, always wearing, like, and yeah. pheromones and, like, a weird silk robe. Wearing like, kimonos God, constantly. Wearing kimonos. It's so gross. <laughs> yeah. Like, at least Mark Hamill's not wearing a kimono. Well, yeah, Luke is showing at least some restraint. He's showing some some forbearance. He's showing some some willpower. She's just a horn dog, you the, know? The, the greatest restraint he's showing, it's not not kissing Princess Leia, it's not wearing a kimono. Yeah, that's true. He could be wearing a kimono this whole time. He could be wearing a kimono this whole time, but he respects himself too much and her. <laughs> so the next day, they start traveling some more until C-3PO notices there's a metal wall going through the jungle. So what the heck? And so they all start following it until they find a settlement with paved streets and metal sidewalks. What the heck? I thought this was an abandoned planet. Yeah, this ain't this is a camp. This is like a full-on mining installation. Like, there's people walking around. Also, stormtroopers walking around. Okay. Uh, this is an Imperial Mining Facility they've come across. Oh. But Leia's really excited because once the Circapusans find that they have, like, a secret Imperial Mining Facility in their system, they're definitely going to join the Rebellion because it's like, they didn't tell us about this? Come be on. Pissed. Yeah, they got, like, a, they're going to be super pissed. They got a military base, un, un, like, in their backyard they don't even notice? Come on. They're going to really want to join. She figures out this has to be an energy mining operation, which is, like, really hard to do and really secretive because... What does that mean? Well... It has these these energy drills yeah. that drill into the planet to pull out its energy, like, like from, from, its, from the core, like the core of the oh, planet. Oh, like heat energy. Yes, but in the process, it sends out all this dust and this crap into the air, which causes crazy rainbow energy storms. Oh my god, that's exactly what happens with fracking. That's why if yeah. you drive through Pennsylvania, it's crazy rainbows <laughs> all over the place. It completely destroys the environment of the planet it's used on. 
And it's super illegal if there's any natives living on this planet, but the Empire makes its own rules, baby. And it's also secret. So. I don't think anything is illegal in the Empire. I think they make the laws, actually. Yeah. So Luke decides he need to blend in with some mining gear. So they break into a mining supply shop with his lightsaber, but in like a really weird way that's never... Okay, I'm just going to read what he does with it. It's kind of okay. strange. All right. Instead of the meter plus shaft of white energy, the pommel put forth a short, needle-thin spoke. What? With concentration worthy of a master craftsman, Luke stepped forward and moved the energy beam along the slight space visible what? between the door and the frame. A third of the like way a down the door. Card? <laughs> yeah, so he, he Like when you he, open a door with a credit card? So I don't know if lightsabers can do that, but he focuses it into a tiny little needle and he cuts through the the, 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 the lock in the I door. I feel like using such a miraculous weapon where you have to like find a magic crystal in a cave or some shit to like power it. Like using it to jimmy a lock yeah. seems <laughs> kind of disrespectful. I don't like like Luke doesn't really know like how good this thing is, I think, at this point. But I don't. I've never seen it in the movies. They never become like skinnier. He's like than, picking his teeth with it. Like, at the end, like, like, like you, there's not like a knob on there. Maybe there is a knob actually. Is you can't there, change the size. Can of you it. change like the, the the focus of it? Can you if change? If you can, then this is literally the only time somebody does. Yeah, it's weird, huh? Again, didn't think there'd be another movie. So they're just like, yeah, he. Jimmy He's got this laser sword. Let's try to Jimmy lock with it. <laughs> so they dress up like miners, and Luke and Luke thinks Leia looks the part. Except for one thing. Oh, she's so hot. She looks like such a minor. So, I have a bit of Reader's Theater if you want to join me here. All right, I'm ready. Kibi Leia, my yeah, sister here. Sure. They were halfway there when increasing daylight caused Luke to stop. What's the matter? Two things. First of all, there's your walk. And what's wrong with my walk? Nothing. That's the trouble. I don't follow you, Luke. You're walking like... like a princess. Not like a working woman. Slump your shoulders. Take some of the confidence and distance out of your stride. Stagger a little. You gotta walk like a tired mineral grubber, not like one of the Imperial family. And there's the second thing. Reaching out, he tousled her neat hairdo violently. Hey! Her hair formed a nebulous maze of undisciplined strands around her head and face. The intricate double bun she'd worn now completely obliterated. That's better, but something's still not right. He reached down and picked up a handful of moist earth. Oh no, I've been living in sludge for days. I'm not letting you smear that gunk on me. Have it your way, Leia. He dropped the dirt, and it hit the ground with a loud splat. You do it. Using spit in hands and a minimum of dirt, she succeeded in wiping every trace of makeup from her face and dirtying as little as possible. How's this? Much better. Look like somebody's been out in the desert too long without water. Thanks. I'm beginning to feel like it, too. It's got this kind of fun little lover's quarrel here. <laughs> you need to look like the working class, which means you need to stagger around and look defeated. Walk like a princess. Yeah. Yeah. So they get to this tavern, and they order what's on the menu, which is uh, Kamurkin steak, flank cut, and Utawurgs. Okay, well, none of those words meant anything to me, but proceed. They're the usual supplements, according to the bartender. The usual, sure. Then they see a skinny green alien, a skinny furry green alien bothering one of the miners. There's actually a, a comic book of this that they did in, 19, in the 1970s. Yeah? Um, they're supposed to be green and furry. This is how they're drawn in the comic. They're kind of like these, like, skinny fellas with, like, mohawks. Okay. yeah, 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 yeah. They Big like, eyes. Like, I don't know, like... Troll shamans. Yeah, from Warcraft, without the tusks, right? Yeah. V, sir, it begged. Smav drink, Vickerman, Vickerman. And the miner kicks the guy in the face. What did he say? Bootop, the miner bellowed at the aborigine, while his companions trolled among themselves. Bootop, this! Its head twitching in what seemed like an unnatural action. The whining, pleading alien stared up at the man, wiping the blood from his face. Vickerman, Vickerman! Yeah, Vickerman, the miner admitted, tired of the game a little. Bootop. Without further prompting, the native dropped on its belly. What? An unexpectedly long, snake-like tongue darted out and began to lick the grime and mud from the man's boots. Oh my, a literal bootlicker. I'm gonna be sick, Luke whispered, barely audible. The princess merely shrugged. We have our devils and our angels, Luke. Yeah, they'd be ready, be ready to handle both. When she looked back at the bar, the native had finished his demeaning task and was holding his cupped hands anxiously. Can you pick him on? No, no. 
Yeah, sure. Turning to face the expectant native, the miner tilted the bottle over, spilling the thick red liquor onto the floor and sent him to the cupped hands. While the men and women at the bar enjoyed their final laugh at the poor creature's expense, it dropped him to a prone position, and that amazing tongue flicked in and out like a frog to lap up the liquor before it retreated into cracks and depressions in the floor. That amazing tongue? Is that Luke being horny again? That amazing that tongue. amazing tongue. So we got a planet where the natives are, are literally licking people's boots. Yeah. To, to get alcohol. It's kind of kind of sad. And Luke is, sad. Luke is kind of upset about this because he, he hates seeing things like this. And there's all over the bar. You hate to see it. You hate to see it. He starts noticing around the bar there's like more aliens just like that one. And they're also doing like begging and menial tasks for the miners. Wow. Leia sees the bar attendant whispering to an Imperial officer while pointing at the two of them. Over there. The officer begins to walk over to their table. So Leia gets up to leave. And Luke slaps her across the face. What the f- Are you serious? Trouble? Asks the Imperial officer. He's like, it's, it's clear you're a miner, but the lady here, look at her hands. They're too clean. They're soft. And Luke explains that he bought her as a servant and a high-end one. But he's always to keep her disciplined now and then when she acts up. Um, oh, the no worries then, says the officer, and he strolls away. Leia's like really pissed about this ruse. Do the 70s just like always need to find an excuse to, ha- excuse to have a woman get slapped? Yes. I, I feel like there are so many times where I watch stuff from the set. Like when we watched Gundam yes. the other day. It's just like the first example that comes to mind. Like the main character has to slap a woman in the very first episode. Yeah, it's a bit much, right? Like why? So Luke explains like, I'm sorry I had to do that. But once this, once like the word gets around, everyone's going to think we're just part of the part of the group here. They're not going to think we're weird at all. Working class people slap women. Like, we're not going to uh, be strangers. No, yeah. just be a servant. We're not going to be strangers anymore. People are going to know they're just like one of the guys. They walk with defeated and downcast eyes, and they slap women. But almost okay. immediately, an old lady named Hala approaches and calls them out as strangers. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> strangers! Like all of a sudden. But it's okay. We respect women around these parts, strangers. <laughs> it's okay because she needs strangers to help her. Strangers that have the force. Oh, she senses how it. How does she know? She senses it in Lucas. She's oh, got the force I thought too. Maybe he was just so good at slapping. She's like only someone with the it's force. It's a force slap. The legendary <laughs> power of the Jedi. So they try to lie about their mission and whatnot, but Hala's like calling them out every step of the way. Like, no, that's not true. No, that's not true. You're here for this. You're here for this. You're here for this. And she's like, she's a tough old broad. Right. And she's right. She's absolutely right. She says she'll help them steal a ship to get off world. She helps them with a small task. Recovering a kyber crystal from the temple of Pomojema. So this is the first mention in any Star Wars stuff of the kyber crystal. I should say first in, in the Legends continu- or any continuity. What she need it for? She need to make a lightsaber to crack a lock? Or now at this, like- at this point, Alan Dean Foster took kyber crystal from one of the early drafts of Star Wars. It was just kind of MacGuffin yeah. that the Jedi had to get back. And he didn't really... I mean, at this point... The kyber crystal wasn't the thing that builds a lightsaber. Yeah. We had, we had no idea what a kyber crystal was. Oh, so okay. Is Alan it still Dean, MacGuffin in this story? Yes. Okay. And Alan Dean Foster um, kind of made up his own. So they're skeptical about this crystal that it's anything special. It's like, why do we need to get a crystal from a temple? That's weird. But Holler reveals she already owns a piece of one, a splinter even, <gasps> that she got in a trade with the greenies, which is what, what they call the, the furry green aliens that like people's yeah, boots. Yeah, the greenies. So racist. I know. Did, did she see that splinter in her mind's eye? She might have, yes. And so she traded it for booze to, okay. from one of the greenies. Okay. Um, she explains that it enhances one's connection to the force and has Luke touch it. Oh, okay. So it's like, you know, crystals nowadays where they align your chakras. Align your chakras, yeah. yeah. And like help you become more like, uh, you know, aligned with your, with your chi and all that. So Luke touches it. He feels kind of a tingle, but not much more. And Holly gives him the splinter as a off- goodwill offering. Like, I'll give you this to you because you're going to help me. But only because you got to move fast. Because you see, by Luke touching that thing, he's sent this ripple through the Force, almost imperceptible, but will be perceived almost certainly by Imperial Force-sensitive agents. Uh-oh. 
so she's like, I better move fast now. I gotta go. <laughs> get the crystal so you can get off world. Is that how it, is that actually how it works? Like, if he does one force thing... Well, like... this crystal amplifies it. So he touches it. By touching it, he sent off a ripple. Nice job, lady. She she knew exactly what she was doing. Oh my God. <laughs> Hollow rules, man. She's this great. broad. They leave the tavern and almost immediately Leia kicks Luke in the shins. For slapping her in the face. I mean, obviously. yeah. Now they're, she can do. Now they're even. Um, this Luke, is, this is what they do. We have to blend in, Luke. So this little scuffle gets attention of some big drunk miners who are often to quote unquote help Luke with his disobedient servant. Oh, one of this described as having class. One is described as having a Manchu mustache and blades in the soles of his boots. Oh, <laughs> so, <laughs> what a cool image! What a cool image! Yeah. A racist Chinese caricature with like ice skates on. It's a decent fight. Uh, they kick at him. Luke uses his lightsaber and pales the guy's leg and chops off the other guy's hand. But then stormtroopers show up to arrest all of them for disturbing the peace. Okay. Like you do. They're marched into one of those big eldritch buildings Luke saw earlier. Uh, the trooper in charge explains it's one of the natives' old temples, but not built by the Greenies, since they're clearly too stupid to do anything but Oh, Luke yeah. Boots. Indigenous people, they can't do anything on their own. It now, must have been aliens. So now it's an Imperial mining office. Yeah. They brought before Captain Supervisor Grammel. He's the villain of this piece. He's a paunchy guy with a droopy mustache and greasy black hair, but all the miners and troopers seem terrified of him. Grammel questions them and gets all gross about Leia, like, you know, starts a trend for all Star Wars villains going forward in books. He has to also be horny about Leia. It's not, like, as horny as Caesar, but, like, nothing is. But yeah, he's, he's right. sort of like, he's not wearing a what a beautiful captive would be a shame if anything happened to that soft face of yours, that sort of thing, oh, right? Oh, God. He's interrupted by a cloak individual who starts whispering in his ear. And so Luke whispers to Leia, I don't like this, Leia. And she whispers back. You have the most wonderfully evocative way about you, Luke, of reducing the most excruciating and comfortable circumstances to merely the most mundane. I thought that was kind of a fun line. That is kind like, of a fun line. Like, Foster, I gotta say, has a really good handle on how these characters should talk. Yeah, like, that's, like, of, definitely something that Leia would say. It, big it's words, good. but kind of sarcastic and funny. Yes. You know, that's a very Leia thing to say. But then it's back to the interrogation. So they brought in the miners as well that started the fight, and one of them starts objecting to being arrested, so Grandma shoves this hard plastic rod into his eye socket. <laughs> It's pretty cool. Just like any other cop. Just like any other grandma. Yeah, cop, seriously. More like Gramella Harris. <laughs> the miners are sent to the rear holding cells, leaving Luke, Luke and Leia alone with Grandma. He says, I'm going to find out who you are, you lying liars. You're not who you say you are. You're not miners. And Leia makes a verbal jab at him, some kind of cool comeback. And so Grandma starts kicking her on the ground. What the hell? Like, Why is this like beat up Leia? Like wailing into her. Luke, he steps in and says, I'll explain everything. He tells Grandma that he and Leia are actually escaped convicts from Circapruce and begs to work off their crimes on Mimban in the mines. Luke's like really good at lying in this book. Yeah, he's not actually that good at it in like the movies though. No. Like normally he doesn't need to because he can just do like a Jedi mind trick. Right. He's really good at like making up stories in this one, like on the fly. Do you think so. that's like um like a side effect of um having Jedi powers is that you get like really shitty at lying because you never need to? Yeah, because it's, you know, not morally illicit and all that. It's so. not more it's never morally illicit. So, Even if it's to save a life, it's not morally illicit, guys. So keep that in mind. Grandel almost believes this story, but he says he's been told Luke is in possession of a certain small gemstone. <gasps> Luke reveals the splinter to Grammel. He confiscates it as they're fined for their crimes and sends Luke and Leia to be detained while he determines if their story checks out. Whole thing like, if you're lying, I'm going to kill you personally. It's going to be fun. Grammel calls up one of the Imperial governors named Isada, who's described as swarthy. Isada has no idea about the gem, but mentions that two emissaries from the rebellion were rumored to be heading towards Circapus, one of which is a fiery young lady with dark hair. And so Grammel sends over a security image he has of her, and Sada gets all excited and orders Grammel to keep her and them in custody alive until receiving further orders. Like, with a catch like this, he says, you'll become Colonel Supervisor Grammel. Oh my god. Instead of Captain Supervisor Grammel. Oh boy, right? Either way, you just have, like, one title too many. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, with a hyphen. You should, it should have a hyphen in it. I feel it like has that, a hyphen? Yeah. 
It's Captain Kyphon supervising That's really Trammel. stupid. If you're a captain or a colonel, like, okay, you're supervising people. It goes without saying. It's built in the word. Redundant. Stupid. So, I don't like it. So Grammel doesn't have any idea who these people are, even what the gem does still, but he's going to get a promotion out of it, so he's like, sweet. This is hell if I care. Luke and Leia are thrown into a cell with a big furry creature. <gasps> Chewbacca? Oh, it's, that's right. Chewbacca's not in this. Chewbacca's not in this. <laughs> that's right. But you'll see where be, how they could have reused some of that. So Luke starts jabbering at it until it picks him up and gives him a kiss. He starts going, blah, 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 blah. and the thing picks him up and starts smooching him in the face. So this thing is also horny. Leia's like, what the hell, Luke? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, wait, what? And Luke explains that this is a yuzum, and he knows some of their language. This is not to be confused with the yuzums of Endor. Like I was going to say, I thought this was about Endor. Like our boy Joe Yauza. Yeah. These are yuzums with an E instead of with a U at okay, the Okay, because I don't want to imagine Joe Yauza kissing anyone. No, and somehow Luke knows some of their language. Like Why? Why? They don't They don't live on his planet. Like, no. Uh, also, they're like, incredibly drunk. It mentions that in the book. How, how is it they're, getting... They're, they're, they have a long hangover period, apparently. How is, oh, so it just got drunk like before it was put in prison. Yeah, it's still drunk. Yes. Cool. Here's a picture from some art. It's kind of become a, a canon Star Wars species now. That's a, that's a, that's a yuzzle. It looks like Beast from Beauty and the Beast. Really? Like I guess it kind of does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without, like, that's its build. That's the be- I know the beast's build. <laughs> yeah. That's the beast's exact build. And the beast's feet look exactly like that. Now, it's not really described like this in the book. And this is clearly like an artist rendition of it. But you can see how, like, Eileen Foster's like, how can we use those Wookiee costumes without actually having to have a Wookiee in it? Because Chewbacca's not coming back. So let's make a new furry species that's, like, tall and scary. And, yeah. you know, you could easily see this, like, just taking the head off Chewie and putting a new one on him and having it be a new creature, right? I could also see it introducing the love of its life to the secret library at its oh, mansion. Oh, yes. Not the East Wing. Oh, that's the West Wing, actually. Okay, uh, uh, I'm, President. I'm sorry, I'm um, sorry that I'm a Beauty and the Beast purist, but it's the West Wing. That's where he keeps his magical rose. Sorry, President class. Bartlett. I didn't know you're so into the West Wing over here. <laughs> you're into walking and talking, too? Is that what you're into? I've watched one episode of The West Wing, but let me tell you, that joke, like, is completely on point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the Yuzum wakes up another Yuzum in the cell. Luke figures out one is called Hin, and the other is called Key. Got Hin and Key. Hin explains that they're in jail because they got fed up with their indentured servitude in the mines and started breaking stuff. Okay. Like, literally, that's how it's extreme. Like, they started cool. breaking things, just at random. They got drunk it's and like started- It's like a Limp Bizkit song. Yeah, break stuff! Yeah, they did. Sometimes you just don't want to wake up! Everything's- oh, Everything sucks! And they've been torturing Key by using a mining drill on his head for like a week. Wow. Wait, so, so but he is he make a hole? I mean, it doesn't is, describe is it, okay? it, but it seems like he's upset about it. I don't know. What? Up for a week? Yeah, man. That's a long How time. How does he have like a head left? A brain. Like, <laughs> I think it must be a small drill, not the one they're mining the I mean, planet like, I with. I guess if but, he's, you know, sufficiently drunk, maybe he just doesn't notice. I guess. Grammel stops by to let Luke and Leia know an Imperial representative is on their way to see them and interrogate them personally. And Leia's like, uh-oh. Why would they come here? They don't, they don't know who we are yet. What the yeah. heck? What the heck? He starts going off at them about how he's going to get a promotion off this. He's going to ease their ticket off this rock of a planet. And the representative is going to mess him up real good. Pink gets bored starts choking him out through the cell bars. <laughs> well, him like runs kind of hot and cold, right? Like he's, he's kissing and then he's, he's kissing and choking. He's a lover and a fighter. The guards get him to back off and Grandma Glitz Hall disintegrate the Yuzums personally. But not before him launches a loogie at his face. Oh, Gross! Grammel has a really good insult as his, like his parting his parting shot. He calls the Yuzum a grinning travesty of a man, <laughs> which I love. I think it's a really good. Insult. That also describes my ex boyfriend. A grinning travesty of a man. <laughs> a travesty of a man. <laughs> I love that though. I think it's a great great insult from a smug guy. After he leaves, 
they hear a voice outside. It's Hala, the old lady. She's outside the window. How'd she get there? Well, she describes the window as being like up a 40 meter tall ditch. Yeah. And she's like this tiny little precipice she's standing on. Yeah. She's like the magic force lady. She can do whatever okay, she wants. She just jumped it or whatever. She says she's going to bust them out with force powers. So she uses her mind, starts moving a food tray through the cell door uh, toward the unlocking controls, but she can't get it far enough. She says, help me, boy. So Luke focuses, and with the help of Obi-Wan's disembodied voice, they manage to unlock the door by smashing the tray against the unlocking button. Sick. Yeah. The elves immediately, the elves immediately <laughs> rush out and start wrecking stuff. When Luke and Leia catch up with them, they've knocked out three stormtroopers and are beating a fourth to death with a droid. Whoa. Just like, burr, burr, burr. Whoa, Just like whoa. slamming a droid by the leg down on top of this guy. Okay. Pretty cool. They make a great scene in the movie, I think. Everyone grabs a gun and they start blasting their way out, and manages to recover Luke's lightsaber in the process. The chapter ends with this the four of them ram in front of the building, leaving confusion and blood in equal amounts behind them. Wow. Blood! That's how I also like to exit buildings. Yep, so that's the first half of Splinter of the Mind's Eye. As you can see, like I said, not the craziest Star Wars book. No, it, but it's like kind of like a self-contained little, like if Star Wars had Monster of the Week episodes, right, it's yeah. a new Monster of the Week episode. It's a fun little adventure story. Yeah. I can see it being like a good TV movie or something. Absolutely. Or like an episode of Farscape or something like that. Definitely. You know? Cool. So I'll read the rest of this book before next week, and we will see what kind of crazy finale it has and how it changes the Star Wars canon forever. It's definitely not going to get as stupid as, like, a preteen riding his, like, squ- squirt board? What was it called? It's, uh, <laughs> skim swoop, board. Swoop. It's, it's skim board. It's, isn't it swoop? Swoop is, a, is, like, the bikes they use in that one book. Okay, his skim board. His skim it's board. Not gonna, like, it's not going to end with, like, some preteen stunting on, like, a skim board. I don't know. Maybe he could. Oh, God. I can't wait to see uh, Luke on a skim board. Oh, my God. So, with that blood in their wake... That's it for I Hot Life for today. All right. But, you know, Ryan, there's one more feature that we need to cover here. Yeah, we do. It's it's called the hot, the hot, the hot, the hot, the hottest take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hang on a sec. All right. So last week, since we had a bit of a, a hiccup, um, we did a double down voting situation. Double down. Yeah, we get a theme song for that, even though it's our screw up. So we had actually four takes put up in two separate little voting situations. Our first set of votes was between that's the, the aforementioned girl who thinks Sauron is a hottie and yes. has burnt arm for some reason because she's hungry, question mark. Uh, and the other one was, of course, our friends at DecentFilms.com talking about how uh, lying is a problematic situation in Star it's Wars. It's never morally illicit. And in this situation, the people have said their vote, they think that they're equally stupid. Equally stupid. Sorry, equally hot and spicy. Equally hot. Yep. Okay, cool. Cool. Do we need a tiebreaker? Uh, no, we're good. Okay, we're good. Cool. The, the they're second, both equally hot. The second vote was between someone who wanted recommendations for books like Lord of the Rings and someone recommended Spyro the Dragon. <laughs> it's just like Lord of the Rings. The other one is how somebody thinks people should be nicer to stormtroopers because they're actually cool. In this case, the people voted and they said that uh, Spyro was a hotter take. Really? They thought that was a s'more stupid, I mean, cool, hot, interesting thing to say. Wow. So that's how it came out. That's how it shook out this past week. So if you're at a party and you're looking for a cool thing to say, you should definitely go with... Spyro the Dragon. Spyro the Dragon. Being exactly Being exactly Lord of the Rings. Yes, yes, yes. If you want people at the party to go, God, he's interesting. I really want to have sex with that guy. Yeah. Well, are you ready for another hot take? Yep. This, this one isn't, like, as silly as previous ones, but it definitely is more like kicking the hornet's nest, right? Okay, so it takes me back to an era that time almost forgot, where Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter were both, like, coming out with movies at the same time, oh, yeah, were both was... immensely popular at the same time, and people, for some reason, felt the need to, like, fight about which was better, even though, like, I don't know, huh. like, 
who was compelling you to compare them? I have no idea. There's a little bit of crossover there for yeah. a few years, right? Yes. Yeah. But anyway, so somebody asked a question. Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter? Okay. I mean, you, don't have, you can have both, I think. They then update, may I ask why you are all choosing Lord of the Rings over Harry Potter? And, <laughs> like, everybody except one person chose Lord of the Rings, but one person chose Harry Potter and they got best answer. So I think it's pretty <laughs> clear, like, which side this asker was on. That's a bit biased, right? Yes. But anyway, okay, so here is the best answer. This person's name is, I don't know, dumb asshole. I have no idea what their name is. Okay, so. Obviously Harry Potter. Lord of the Rings is good, even great. I will give you that. But where Lord of the Rings is a difficult book to read and relatively hard to get into, and I would imagine virtually impossible to understand without having seen the films. Mm, yeah. That's very stupid. The Harry Potter books make clear sense. The language is understandable, and the storyline, far better. Harry Potter isn't black and white. I would offer the suggestion that Lord of the Rings is. I am not a Lord of the Rings fan, however, I have seen and enjoyed the films, and I enjoy the novels just as much. I am, however, a Harry Potter fan. A very big one. As such, I understand the deep meanings in Harry Potter, and I know all the connections yeah, by so heart. Deep. Yeah, the magic in Harry Potter is far more exciting and enthralling than the daily orc battles. Lord of the Rings is very good, but boring in comparison to Harry Potter. Oof. Yeah. Spicy. Oof. Oof. That's very spicy. That's very spicy. So they make a number of claims there. They also say they enjoy both, but then they also dish on Lord of the They're Rings. They're like, I enjoy both, but Lord of the Rings is a masterpiece of shit. <laughs> but don't get me wrong, I love them both. Sheesh. Yeah. So um, Harry Potter is deep and has more connections, and it's not as black and white as Lord of the Rings, and oh my God. it's just more exciting. I, I I I find that reasoning very stupid. What a hot take. Yeah. That's pretty hot. What was that from? Yahoo um, Answers? It was from Yahoo Answers. Oh, I love Yahoo Answers. I mean, like, and it was a foregone conclusion which one the person was going to pick. It's whoever right. picked Harry Potter. So. I had to go in there for Star Wars. Yahoo, I'm not saying Yahoo Answers formula is, like, busted. Oh. It's... I don't think there's a lot of integrity. There. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. Was that really the best answer objectively? Objectively, it didn't really take most into consideration. Anyway, that's pretty hot. That's good, Joanna. Yeah. Now, my hot take, uh, my have been coming from the Force.net forums, because it's just a, a treasure trove. These forums go back to, like, 2003 yeah. uh, archives, and I can just dig into the history of Star Wars fans posting stupid things forever. And this one is called, Would You Really Want to Live in a Galaxy Far, Far Away? It's from a thread with that title. Okay. And the thread itself is kind of fun. People are like, oh, it'll be kind of fun. It'll be kind of dangerous. Maybe not. Um, this is a post by a guy called Sith Lord 2015. Okay, so we already know he's kind of an edgelord because that's his name. He says, by myself? No way. If my whole family and friends would join me, then maybe. But I'm not sure which planet. It'd have to be an East Asian type environment oh. with Chinese, Japanese, Vietnamese, and Korean food widely available. Smiley oh. face. Also, I'd like to be able to visit places that have a Hong Kong-type feel. Possibly Coruscant has a less white western region. And landscapes like the Lijiang River area in Guangxi or Halong Bay in Vietnam. So on second thought, maybe no. Maybe stay in good old Earth. Judging from the movies alone, the, great, the galaxy far, far away is too, quote-unquote, western for my taste. I probably miss Asian architecture, food, and culture. The galaxy is huge. Maybe the right place for me is out there. At least traveling through that galaxy would be easy enough. So, any extended universe stories that feature East Asian-type environments with nice humid tropical climates in the great, uh, in the, 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 Galaxy Far, Far Away, these G... Okay, I should say I'm, I'm stumbling because he was G-F-F-A as an acronym. Oh, okay. It took me forever to figure out what it stood for. Galaxy You're Far, like Far Grand Away. Grand Theft Auto? Grand Theft Auto? So any nice humid tropical climates in the uh, Galaxy Far, Far Away? That would be cool. So basically, I want to live in Star Wars as long as it's Asian. And so this guy's like definitely a weeb. <laughs> like, he's de- like, it's definitely like his biggest dream is to like go to Japan during Cherry Blossom season, like find a waifu. Like, definitely a massive weeaboo. I, I kind of checked his post history to see if he actually was like a guy in Asia, but he, I don't think he is. If he was like an actual, like, I guess, 
Asian guy who, or, or a guy who lived in Asia. I don't know. I think he's probably just a weeb. I think he's probably just a massive weeb. So wherever he lives, it's got to look like Japan. It's got to be Japan. It's got to be Chinese and Vietnamese. And it's got to have uh, a little less white than Coruscant. I can't live in a galaxy far, far away because they don't have anime. They need anime and Asian babes. The Empire canceled anime, so I am out. <laughs> Uh, so, that's my hot take. Cool, cool. A, wow, that's very spicy. A, Almost as spicy as certain Asian cuisines ooh. that I love because I have such a firm appreciation for Asian culture. Yeah, for sure. So, you can go on our Facebook page and tell us which of those two takes is spicier. Harry Potter is probably better than Lord of the Rings in every way, except, you know, except for it's not. But mostly Harry Potter is the best and Lord of the Rings sucks. Or... I want to live in Star Wars, but only if it's Asian. <laughs> Asian Star Wars. I want to live in Asian Star Wars. Yes. All right. So vote now. Yeah. On our Facebook page, What's Lightsabers Precious, our website, whatslightsabersprecious.com. Or you can email us at whatslightsabersprecious at gmail.com. Anyway, go on there. Vote for those. I'll talk to you next time, fellas and ladies and Ewoks out there. Bye. Bye. Bye.